0: this morning we come to our uh second to last text here in our study of first john and this is one of those texts where you know if you want to if you want to uh, put the put the pastor on the spot you give him this text <laughs> this is one of those texts that was just devilish to uh for 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 me to have today but um so it is, so it is, as we come to the text, we desire here at uh, affirmation to preach the whole counsel of God's word. and so this is this is the issue with preaching through a book. You can't skip over a text <laughs> that's challenging. Uh, so today we come to first uh, John chapter five, and just a few short verses, but there's enough in here to uh, to confound us. Um, and so it'll make also for a uh, delightful Sunday school, I'm sure. Um, page 1085, first 1 John chapter five, verses 14 through 17. Let me go ahead and read the text and lay it out before us, uh, as we, uh, come to hear the sermons for morning. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Well, I want to take this text, really, the the, the passage divides into two challenging uh, topics very nicely. Uh, the first in the first two verses, and then related to it as sort of the example of the thing, uh, the second challenging notion in the last two verses. In verses 14 and 15, we have John speaking of confidence. John has spoken about confidence that we may have. It's his Desire for the people of God that we have confidence. Remember, He's been writing all along that we might have assurance, that we might have confidence, our salvation, that we might have confidence on the day of Christ's appearing. This this is one of those words uh, that last week we we the idea of, of witnessing and and, uh, and so forth that uh, John draws on so many times in this book. But but here the word confidence is one that has been very familiar to us through our study of John. And John now extends this confidence and he says here, here's a manifestation of the confidence that we have in uh, in our union with Christ. And that is that if we ask anything in his name, we will receive it. And if we ask anything according to his will, we already have it, he says. That's the confidence we have. So again, verses 14 and 15 dwell in this. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. John's confidence here is awesome. And as we read it, I I, I suppose the question we have to ask is, is it a confidence that we share? These are challenging passages. We know that uh, there's a couple of these in in the Gospels as well, uh, particularly in John, where John says things like this, right? Or John has Jesus saying things like this. If you ask anything of me, I will seek it from my Father and it will be given to you. If you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. These passages are meant to give us confidence. They are meant to make us bold not only in our prayers, but in our trials as we, as we engage the world, to know that we have access to a Father who loves us and who loves to give us what we ask for when we ask for things according to his will. At the same time, these passages cause much consternation. I personally know of people who have left the faith because they have prayed for things and not received. And they have prayed in the name of Christ, something that seemed very consistent with his will, namely, you know, a a, a person recovering from an illness, and did not receive. And said, I can't take God seriously. I trusted that as a son, I come and ask my father for bread. I'm not going to get a stone. I trusted him on this. I trusted that if I asked my father for a fish, he would not give me a scorpion. And I've asked for a fish and I received a scorpion. I was told, if you ask it in my name, it will be done. This is the power That you have the new creation power and authority, if you will, that you have in Christ. That's what I read when I read the scriptures, they say. And I leaned on that. I took God at his word. And I asked and did not receive. I'm out. It's not real. So what we do with texts like this is we avoid them. (laughs) because they're very challenging. Because we want to say what the scriptures say, but there's part of us that looks at where the application of text touches our life and where it touches the world in which we live and there's a disconnect there. And we can end up thinking, I know I'm supposed to believe this, so I will and I won't ask any more questions, I'll let it be. Because if I press on it, I'm afraid I'm gonna say, actually, it doesn't work out that way. And then where am I gonna be? I don't know, maybe that's not you. I think that I think that this is the way many come to these texts. So how do we handle it? It's it's again, this is this is put the pastor, the pastor on the on the spot day and in texts like this. Well, one, it seems to me as our starting point, we must take the scripture at its word. If God says it, it's true. And John says, "Not no, John. John doesn't just say it. John says this is our confidence." So John's going in boldly. John's not skip. John's not tucking this text at the end of the at the end of the passage, so that maybe people won't even read it because it's at the end. John says, "No, this is our confidence." That when we ask anything according to his will, we have it. Well, what I want to just make a couple simple points. I don't pretend uh, that today I will take away every question you have on it, but at least we can make, I think, some assertions regarding the text. One thing this text should do, and this confidence should do for you, is cause you to pray. This should inspire you to pray because what a bold statement it is. If you ask anything according to his will, you have it and you can be assured that it's already yours. You know, it's like it's as good as done. So what does this do? This should inspire us to pray and pray and pray. Is it possible? I mean, one way to look at this text we, we often look at this text and say, why do we pray for things that again we 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 think we ask for fish and we get we get a stone or a, a, a scorpion, you know, bread and we and we receive a stone. We spend time on that side of this problem, and that we need to we do need to deal with that. But my entry point here is another side of the problem. If you ask anything according to his will, he will give it. Okay, but what if we don't ask for things that are according to his will? Then what happens to them? Do they happen anyway? This is one of the, the issues I think that we have in, in reform circles. Again, it's it's just we know we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that his will is immutable. We believe that his decrees are certain. And so even things like prayer, we're not quite sure what to do with it. We know we should do it. We're not sure what role it plays. He's saying, if you ask anything according to the will of of Christ, it will be done. Yeah, but what if we don't ask for things that are according to his will? We just don't think to ask. Will they be done anyway? So that prayer is in some sense just, hey, we just go through the motions. Well, Mark, Cited in his in his prayer today, that passage in James chapter four it would have been a fine text to choose as our word of exhortation. In James four, he says, "You know why you don't receive." I and mean, This is what James says. You, do you know why you haven't received certain things? Because you have not asked. That's a that's an amazing passage. There are things. That are according to the will of God then, that have not happened because you, James says, have not asked. And had you asked, it would have happened. I wonder what some of those things are. What amazing things, according to the will of God, are there. And God is not hamstrung. God does not need you to. But God has called you to pray, and God has privileged you to pray so that your prayers and my prayers play a role within his will. And there are certain things that God will not do because we've not asked, not because he can't do it unless you ask. Don't make that mistake. God's not going, oh, I just want to do this so bad, but He doesn't need your prayers, but he has ordained your prayers. He has commissioned your prayers. He has called you to play a role. Just like God does not need the cook to make you a meal to feed you. He does not need the farmer. He does not need the store clerk. But nonetheless, he uses the farmer, the store clerk, the chef, the whatever, to prepare the meal and feed you and give you your daily bread. And if we say, well, no, I'm just going to trust God to do this. I'm not going to do any of the secondary means that God has ordained to accomplish this. I'm just going to trust that he will nourish me. And I'm not going to try to prepare food. And I'm not going to try to work to purchase food. Then you're going to probably starve. with that. Does God need the farmer? No, he does not. Can he miraculously give you food? Yes, he did it in the wilderness. He brought manna right down out of heaven and quail, laid it there for them to have. Can God do? Of course God can do that. No, he does not need the farmer. But he has ordained the farmer and he's told them, Work hard so that I can give these people their daily bread. Go get a job so that you can work and purchase the food. And when you do, you will give thanks to God for providing your daily bread because He is He is the one working in and through all of those secondary means. And just like that, prayer plays a role. God does not need our prayers, but He has commissioned our prayers. And when we ask for things according to His will. Get done. I'm not saying again, make sure we're very careful. I'm not saying God, we have to pray or it can't get done. But He tells James tells his audience, there are many things that have not been done because you have not asked. So the first thing, my entry point here wants to be this verse should inspire us to pray, 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 lay it out before him, knowing that if we're praying according to his will, it's going to happen. We already have it. Okay, but that then raises the secondary question. What about things we've prayed that have not happened? Now, James, by the way, addresses this as well. James says, and you have asked and still don't receive because you asked for the wrong reason. That is, you have asked for things, even some things that may be very good things but you have asked for them for the wrong reason the wrong thing is motivating you as you bring this request to the father and the lord doesn't honor it and what what thing could that be what where we bring a good good request in and of itself the thing in and of itself seems to be good and yet god says no in james's passage it seems to have to do with idolatry I'm asking for something that the outside bystander might look and say, wow, that's a really good thing you're asking for. I could see God giving that to his son or daughter. Makes sense. But you do it to serve your spiritual adultery. That's what he goes on, all you adulterers and adulteresses. Again, not asking according to the will of God. You, you have asked and still have not received because you have not asked. For the right reason so james does deal with this as well and and this is this should inspire reflection upon our own prayer life what is driving you to pray for the good thing you're praying for again god doesn't need you to have all your motivations right before he gives it and i'm not saying again if there's a secret way we can get all of our our, our spiritual life lined up just right then all of a sudden the treasure trove opens up and We just start asking for stuff, and next thing you know, there's everything we want. It's just like the genie in the bottle popping up all around us. But these questions should at least allow us some reflection on our own prayer life. Are we asking? What's driving us to ask for that which we ask? Well, how do we handle things that we have not received when we've asked for things that appear very much to be bread? And fish. I think a couple questions I lay before you, or or issues I lay before you in light of this text. Number one, I think we have to ask what are we asking for? We should at least begin there. Is what I'm asking for, as far as I believe, something according to the will of God? Can I have confidence that this is according to the will of God? Is it something obviously according to the revealed will of God? For example, if I ask that the Lord would make me holy, can I have confidence that that is according to the will of God? Can I go to the Bible and justify that prayer there that I have a high level of confidence that God wants me to be holy? So when I come to him and I say, God, help me to grow deeper in holiness, can I be assured that that prayer is according to the will of God? I think I can. I have it. I have it revealed right in the scriptures. God commands me, be holy as I am holy. When I pray, God, make me holy, I can have a high degree of confidence that I'm asking for bread. I'm asking for fish. And I think I have to take the scripture as word. He will do it. He will do it. But you and I know there are many things we ask for that, again, seem good to us. And if we just put them in a laboratory, if we just plop the request down, it would be hard to deny that what we're asking for is good. But then again, I'm not God. I, I cannot see the infinite number of things he's doing in this province. I just can't see. I mean, Paul, for example, let's take Paul. Paul goes and asks for a very good thing. He asks that a thorn in his flesh be removed. I mean, Paul, I don't know what this is, you know, scholars and. Biblical scholars have all kinds of ideas what this thing was, this thorn in his flesh, but but most likely some physical ailment could be others. But let's just grant that it's a physical ailment. And and Paul is Paul's got work to do. Paul's got ministry to do, and this this thorn in the flesh is holding him back. Oh, I mean, I I've never been there something that severe. I don't plan to be where Paul was, but at the same time, when I'm going through some kind of ailment. I just think, Lord, if you would just get this thing out of my way, I could spend time doing what you call me to do. I, I, I find that when I have a thorn in my flesh, small t, I become, I, my eyes turn inward. I, I can't. I'm just thinking about me, I'm thinking about my pain and pain relief and how do I deal with this? and How do I get out of this? And you know, you're scheduling doctor's appointments. You, get, you know. It's like I just want this off the plate so that literally I can turn my mind and my heart outward to other people. Lord, why just get this thing off my plate? I can see Paul saying that. I've got ministry to do. Please remove this thorn flesh. And what does God say? That seems like a very good thing. Again, if you put it on a lab table and say, is that a good request or a bad request? Is Paul asking for fish or scorpion? You'd say he's asking for fish. And God said, no. I'm not giving it. I'm not giving it. You know this. He says to him, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Turns out, Paul, I know this is very hard for us to understand, but it turns out, Paul, that believe it or not, you've asked for a scorpion. You've asked for a scorpion. and I'm going to give you a fish. You've asked me for a stone, son. I love you. I'm going to give you breath. It's not what you asked for. It's not what you've asked for, but it's good for you. This is good for you. This challenge, this hard thing, my grace, when you come now and turn and find my grace for you in the midst of this struggle, when you find my grace sufficient, oh, that's going to be that. That's going to be that's what you need more than anything else. More than you need relief so that you can do what I've called you to do. You need to depend fully and wholly upon my grace. This doesn't make it feel good. Paul, Paul still has to deal with a thorn in the flesh. So there's not that immediate relief that we want. But we do have to the first thing we gotta ask. Is What are we asking for? Are we asking for something that we know is clearly revealed in his word? There's nowhere in the word of God that you're going to say where it says God doesn't want you to feel pain. So when I ask for relief from that, I cannot have confidence, can I? That necessarily, it doesn't mean I can't ask. I I don't have confidence that he's going to say, okay, fine, I'll relieve it. He may very well put it before your father. This is the good news, brothers and sisters. Ask, ask, ask. Run into the throne room of grace and ask. And at the end of the day, have confidence in Him. So one thing I consider in the equation is what are we asking for? Second thing we got to ask is the matter of God's timing. I, I we must reflect on this particularly when we ask God for things we are confident are good and the answer is no but it's no now but it may be yes I mean John says here when you ask for things according to his will you have them. like if you're asking things according to his will you have it it may not be in the form you wanted it may not be in the time you wanted but you have it All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. And if you have Christ, then you have the affirmative to everything you ask according to the will and purposes of God. The question is, when and how does God answer in the affirmative? I think we must wrestle with this particularly when we pray for each other's healing. My friend who walked away from the faith, i and again, I say this very, very carefully because we're, we're saying this to people who grieve and pain makes us go through all kinds of things. And we have to be careful how and when we say such things. But in, in a moment like this where we can think carefully about when we pray for somebody's healing, life is good. Please don't tell me that when I'm praying for this person to live, I'm asking for a stone. And God says, No, I'm gonna give you the real good thing, I'm gonna take them from you. We're not, I don't want to say that. God promises life. If you have Christ, you have life. We just we just thought about that. If anybody has a son, they have life. He is the life. So when somebody comes and begs their father, For somebody to be spared, you know, the Heavenly Father, for somebody to be spared in that life is taken. I I, I get how it can rock you. I get that. I'm not callous to that. However, it's here that we must allow the scriptures to do their work on us. Those of you who are around will remember when Dolores Hay died. Dolores died on Saturday. She was a longtime member of this church. And she died on Saturday and I had to preach Sunday. And, and of course her, her death, we loved Dolores so much. She battled with cancer for four years and, and yeah. uh, finally passed. And, and I really had to wrestle with like Psalm 103. And I think I even came in and made a priest in Psalm 103 the next day. Because in Psalm 103, this is one of those things where, again, do we push too hard or are we afraid what we'll find and what, have to say if we push it too far because in Psalm 103 it says bless the Lord O oh my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all thy iniquities who heals all thy diseases but we've been praying for four years for Dolores and now she died we've been asking for fish and we got a scorpion because Dolores died This is the the pain we feel, anyone feels when we're going through something like this. And we're taking the issue of death, I think, because it's the ultimate prayer where we pray for somebody, right? Praying for John Komazinski, Lord, show mercy, please have mercy and, and let the doctors be able to remove these tumors. And it's here that, again, we must allow the scriptures, what you're praying for is you're praying for a good thing when you're praying for somebody to live. But ultimately, what are you praying for? See, what I, what I want to say to those who lose someone, particularly in Christ, what we're ultimately praying for, and I have I think Kevin Sherratt is great at, at declaring this to his church. What we're ultimately praying for when we're praying for somebody to get better is we're praying for cemeteries to be empty. We're praying for people to have eternal life. I'm not just praying that somebody will get over this illness, because if they get over this illness, we all know what comes next. There's going to be an illness that takes them. There's going to be an illness that takes me. I'm going to die. What is the prayer? What does my soul really want when I pray for this person to get better? Eternal life. That's what I want. I want death defeated. That's what I'm praying for. Not just relief from this illness. Though I do want that. I want that in the moment. But what John is saying to us is when we pray for things according to his will, you have it. It's done. Yes, he heals all our diseases, brothers and sisters. That's not just Bible talk. That's not just Christian talk. And we all know it's not really true because he doesn't, he heals a lot of diseases, but doesn't heal all of diseases? No, no. Dolores will be healed. She is healed. She will rise from the dead in glory with a new body. And that's not just, well, okay, yeah, but that's not what I meant. No, it is what you meant. It's what we all mean when we pray for each other and for healing. This is what we long for. And in Christ, we have it. We don't have it in the timing we want it. Yes, I would love Dolores still to be loved in this earth. I would love that. But what I really want for Dolores, she has in Christ. So pray, pray, and I titled the sermon Confidence in Christ. We must have confidence as we pray. Ask what you're praying for, but have confidence that when we ask for things that are clearly revealed in his word, they are ours in Christ. Now, the back end of this, and the good thing is I've gone on on the first point, so I don't have much time on the second point, and that's a strategic thing by the pastor. But just quickly, the example that John gives now is praying. And it's interesting. Notice what John turns to. He does not pray. I'm not saying, again, that John is saying we shouldn't pray for each other's physical healing. We should. And we do. But notice the immediate example John turns to. Praying for a brother struggling in sin. See, that is just interesting, right, where John's mind immediately goes to. So let me give you an example, John. says. If a brother's struggling in sin, and we see that brother struggling in sin, and we pray for them that they would be restored. We pray for repentance. We pray for forgiveness for them. The Lord will hear that and do it. And then John drops in this this category. He he says, now, unless we're talking about the sin, that is unto death. And that's like, whoa, wait, 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 wait a second. What, 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 John, what is this? What is this distinction you're making about sin? And he says, now there's sin not unto death, and there is sin unto death. And I'm telling you, pray for those brothers and sisters who have sinned, that those sins which are not unto death. And when we do so, we should expect restoration. That's a good prayer. Again, so first point of application. How do we handle it when we see a brother or sister sin? sometimes we're just rubbing our heads. We can't believe it. I'm, I'm, maybe we're offended. Maybe we get to talking to other people about it. I don't know what we do. We have all kinds of non-righteous ways to deal with other people's sinning. But John expects the first thing we'll do is pray. Pray for them, that they might be restored and to trust that the Lord will hear that prayer. That's a that's a great and wonderful prayer. Pray Pray for repentance. But then John makes this distinction, but I'm not talking about the prayer that leads unto death, and this is a point of consternation, and hence our our uh, reading, our New Testament reading today from Mark chapter three. It's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus draws out this unforgivable sin, the 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 sin that there 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 will not be forgiveness given to, and he makes this distinction in Mark chapter three, and in uh, Matthew chapter twelve, and in Luke chapter twelve that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, is that what John is referring to here? It seems, and most most uh, most commentators say it is, that the sin that is being dealt with here is that of apostasy, and apostasy more narrowly defined as that rejection of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, and is specifically given in the three synoptic Gospels, that is the, the adamancy of the rejection, so much so that we take the work of the Holy Spirit And we attribute it to Satan. I I so give up on the work of God, I so turn my back on God that I attribute whatever is from God unto Satan, namely the work of the Holy Spirit. This is another point of great these two passages are so challenging because they're both points of consternation for Christians. I know Christians who have struggled long and hard with whether or not they have committed the sin. Have I committed the sin? That leads unto death. Have I committed the unforgivable sin? Am I doomed? I have known people who struggle very, very, very deeply with this. And so both of these are very challenging. John makes this distinction. And two things. He, there's there's a little bit of a challenge in the text for us here. He says, uh, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead unto death, he will ask and he will give him life. So there again, there's this is the confidence we have I mean, I pray for your brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin. And he will give them life, those who commit the sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. And now this line: I do not say that we should pray about that. There's two ways to read that. One is, I'm not telling you to pray for those people. Those who have committed the sin of these on death, I'm not saying you should pray about that. The other way to read that is saying. I am not telling you that you should inquire about that, that you should ask about that. And both of those can be valid within the Greek. Is John telling us you should not pray for those who have committed the sin that leads unto death, i.e. that you know clearly who those people are? Calvin takes that point. of view. Another way to read it, though, is there are those who have committed the sin that leads unto death, and I'm not. I'm not saying that you should pry into that, that you should try to figure out, well, okay, well, that, okay, that person did it. I'm not going to pray for them. Again, I I think this brings us back to the confidence that we are to have in Christ, that we are to pray, 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 and trust that God will work according to his will. But we should pray and ask. But I titled the sermon Confidence in Christ because... We must have confidence in Christ in both of these two challenging texts. And we can spend more time on the second one in Sunday school. One, we must have confidence in God that he is our father. And that when we come to him and we ask for bread or fish, he will never, ever, ever give us a stone or a scorpion. He may not give me the fish when I want it. It may not be the fish I thought I was asking for, but he will always give you fish. And he will always give you bread. Have confidence in it. And with regards to our sin, and even with regards to, to our soul, our confidence must be in Christ. We read today, and, and I was going to read the reading of the law. I was just going to make 1 John 5 because I said, okay, this will prepare our hearts. And I said, no, I don't want to do that because we're going to introduce this idea of sin that leads unto death, and and what 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 is this sin that that we're told not to pray for? If that's what he's saying, And I just thought it's going to create too much confusion right before our confession of sin. So I chose John, First uh, John one instead, because in First John one, John gives us the other side of these scales of balance, in which he says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you. Apostasy. That unforgivable sin, that sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is rejecting out of hand the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the hard heart of lack of repentance. It is even so far as attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting in that text. He says, you can blaspheme the Father, you can blaspheme the Son, that can be for you. But you blaspheme the Spirit, you're done. Why? Is the Holy Spirit more sacred than the Father and the Son? No. But it's like the Holy Spirit is the last responder. You have offended the Father. Hence, He sent His Son. And in the moment, you may despise the Son. Jesus, in fact, prayed. Jesus prays, Father, forgive these people who are committing the ultimate blasphemy against me. They're nailing me to a cross spitting on me forgive them but the holy spirit is the one who brings the love of the father through the finished work of the son to your soul and when we reject that and when we despise that when we turn our back on that and in that case in in the case of the gospel attributing it even to Satan. As it, not as an act, not as mere words that are said, but by a recalcitrant heart, a heart that is so disgusted by God that we turn in rejection of him. That's, that's the spirit of the sin that's being described here. It's not a particular sin. It's not even an accumulation of sins, but it is that recalcitrant heart. So my charge to you, When we wrestle through this, is have confidence in Christ. If your confidence is in Christ, brothers and sisters, then you have never committed the unforgivable sin. If there is sorrow in your heart for your sin, a spirit of repentance, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. If our souls are troubled by the fact of whether or not we've committed the unforgivable sin, this is evidence of a good life of struggle within us, the life of a Christian within us. So may we have confidence in Christ in what we ask and in what we believe regarding our own standing before him. John wants this for you. John even brings these difficult texts before you so that you might have confidence in him. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning dealing with a text that is challenging. Lord God, help us to pray, wear our knees out in prayer. Father, we confess that in many ways our prayer lives are pathetic. And that we doubt. Oftentimes we're not sure. We can trust you with our deepest concerns. We're not sure what you'll do. Forgive us these things. And cause us to pray. To pray with absolute confidence, trusting that if we ask things according to your will, we already have them. That all your promises are yes and amen in Christ. That you will accomplish these good and wonderful things. And in fact, we thank you, Lord God, that you have privileged us to participate in the working out of your purposes through prayer. Make us faithful, we pray. Give us hearts that pray for one another, even in our struggles and sin. And Father, we pray that you would guard our hearts from deep anxiety. We pray that you would put all of our hope and all of our confidence in the finished work of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know that in him, we have an advocate. you. In him, we have the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. So that we in him, no matter how deeply we have sinned, are counted as righteous. Place our confidence in him, we pray. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.